Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Read Option Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, as always, joined on every Friday show by Brentley Wiseman. Brentley, how's everything going, man? Everything is going good. You know, I was telling you a little bit before pre-show, I'm out here in Vegas, uh, getting an opportunity to go to Allegiant Stadium and watch the Raiders take on the Chicago Bears. Little Cleo Mack revenge game should be good. Watch Justin Fields get his second start in the NFL. And thank you, God, Matt Nagy. I wasn't trying to watch Andy Dalton. You know, no disrespect to Andy Dalton. I actually watched him two years ago when he was with the Bengals. He actually beat the Raiders, actually, surprisingly, surprisingly enough, in Oakland. But I don't care about him. You know, I pay good money for these tickets. I want to watch a young, excited quarterback and Justin Fields. And, you know, he might catch the L against the Raiders, but hopefully make some good throws and gets the Chicago Bears fans excited. So should be a good one. Yeah, I love when we have matchups of young quarterbacks, just seeing them grow and develop and fields look much better last week than we saw a couple of weeks ago when everybody was just slamming Nagy for how bad the game plan was. So I'm looking forward to seeing now that he knows that he's the guy moving forward. It's just a different feeling just because you're kind of you play a little bit more tense when you know you're not the guy, even though I mean, Fields knows he's the future there. But it's just a little bit different actually hearing it and having the back of your head coach and the vote of confidence from him. But we did have a good game last night between the Rams and the Seahawks. We always know with those NFC West battles, those games are always crazy and they're very unpredictable as well. And this one definitely was on the unpredictable side. We had Russ going down with a crazy finger injury, dislocating his finger, Geno Smith coming in and relief duty. And he got everybody's hopes up and then let everybody down (laughs) at the very end. And, you know, this was a really sloppy game. I think that's the best way I can characterize it, but it was fun. I will say that just seeing Geno come in and, you know, he he did what backups are supposed to do, keep it afloat for a while, but he's a backup (laughs) for a reason. So what was your overall thoughts on this one, your biggest takeaways? Well, you know, shout out Geno Smith. And when I was with the Chargers, we had signed him to be our backup in 2018. And, and um, I had the opportunity to pick him up and take him to his physical. And I really got to know the guy. And he's honestly an awesome dude. So happy he had his little moment in the time that he decides that pick. But I thought he played well. Um, no, but Jordan, my, honestly, my biggest takeaways is this. You know, when the Rams offense is clicking, it's really hard to stop just in terms of, you know, their ability to run the football, like they did, to, they did tonight, you know, Darrell Henderson had 82 yards on the ground of the touchdown. I thought Sonny Michelle looked really good when he came in yeah. when Henderson was injured. This running game gives this offense another dimension because it's sometimes it gets too predictable when Stafford is dropping back to pass 40, 45 times a game. I don't think that's where they're going to be at their best later on in the year. I think they, if they really want to have Super Bowl aspirations – they need to get this ground game going. So it was really, to me, very positive to see this happen tonight. However, that being said, I know Stafford threw for damn near 400 yards tonight. I think he – I mean, he has not looked good, though. I think a lot of those years are hollow yards, and he made some big-time throws, but I counted like five times brutal misses. Misses where a top-five quarterback should not be missing. He should have 500 yards, like, easily tonight. Three touchdowns, 500 yards, like – it, a lot was open. The, the one yeah. I had, the Cooper Cup, he threw mm-hmm. late. I actually walked in touchdown. 
the one on the sideline was under thrown to Deshaun Jackson. That should have been a touchdown. I mean, he missed a wide open uh, Van Jefferson over the middle. I mean, he 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 to me has been off. And he to last week, you know, I know the Cardinals defense looked pretty good, but I thought a lot of those were just staff are missing, just straight up missing. Um, and I I don't really know what's going on, but you know, I, I he's definitely not looked the same to me in terms of what it looked like in week one, week two, and in week week three week three. Um, but ultimately, hey, the Rams got the Rams got the W and and I think they're gonna be a force to reckon with throughout the rest of the season. But my last overall take on this game is is if I'm Russell Wilson and my head coach is doing the crap he's doing, I mean fourth and two on I think it's your you're at your own you're at their what is it 38 yard line and you run the ball. I mean I'm a running quarterback. You 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 you, you don't keep the ball in my hands in some sort of boot or option. Um at the end of the half, you know, we have two timeouts. You you let the you don't you don't call a timeout, you let 15 seconds run off the clock and then you do a run play to, to burn a timeout, which is two yards. The game management stuff that Pete Carroll does when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback and Russell Wilson and the lack of trust that he continuously week in and week out shows Russell Wilson. I mean, it, it's laughable. It's honestly laughable. And yeah. if, I'm, if I'm Russell Wilson and I'm seeing what Bruce Arian does with Tom Brady and what LaFleur's doing with Rodgers and all the control they have, nah, I'm out. Like, honestly, I can't do it. Or I, I demand Carroll to be fired or I'm out. It, 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 it's 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 too much. Like he's he is not a rookie quarterback, and I just feel like Carroll till this day has always treated him like the same quarterback that you know was a game manager, made one or two throws per game, and let the defense you know win the games early in his career. I feel like Carroll's never moved off of that, and if I'm Russ, I've I've had enough. I think this is it for us in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I think this is his last year, and I think we kind of got a hint of it last year as far as last offseason and, you know, the rumors coming out of him not necessarily requesting a trade, but just how disgruntled he was with not only the roster, but also just some of the play calling that was going on around him. And I think you were spot on as far as what you mentioned with him. They still feel like it's 2012 or 2013 when he was that third or fourth round pick coming out and just trying to keep the ship afloat as opposed to a superstar quarterback that really – is key. He, he's the straw that stirs the drink in Seattle. He's always been that way over the past, you know, four or five years or um, however long he's been there. Um, but, you know, with Russ, he's kind of that guy of where he lets stuff get really bad before he comes out and says something. And I think that's what happened last year. But he sees that their defense is so bad, man. It's <laughs> it's really, really bad. Like when they played the Vikings a couple of weeks ago, I didn't realize how bad it was until like, Kirk Cousins was like, I think he was like 30 of 38 for 350 yards and three or four touchdowns. Like he had his way with that defense and they're really bad defensively right now. So once again, Russ is having to shoulder the load so much. And then on top of that, it's just, it's weird. It's like Pete doesn't trust him to throw the ball in crucial situations. I don't really understand what's going on with that there. And I think once again, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as Pete just treating him like he's still a young quarterback and not realizing that, I mean, you have a top three quarterback at the position, in my opinion. So we'll see what does end up happening with that situation, but it definitely is something to monitor. No doubt. I mean, to me, he's third right behind Rodgers and Mahomes. That's kind of how yeah. I always rank him. Um, but again, just when, when, 
the faith that Reed, Andy Reid has in Mahomes or hell, even the faith that Brandon Staley has shown in Herbert in two weeks in a row, yeah. keeping the ball. I mean, clearly, like, against the Kansas City Chiefs, had every opportunity to not only punt, but also just run the ball. Now he keeps the, the ball in his best player's hands. But Pete Carroll just doesn't seem to think that way. And if I'm Russ, like, I'm, I've had enough. Like, I've had enough. Like, it's, I'm, it's, I'm done. Yeah. Either you got to go or I got to go. Um, so I'm, and, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. And, I mean, you look around the division, the Cardinals are significantly better this year. Yep. The 49ers are always going to have a chance, and they have, like, a vision already in hand with Trey Lance. And we know how explosive they're always going to be offensively. And then the Rams. The Rams are looking good this year, too. So, I'm Russ in Seattle. I mean, like, what are we doing? <laughs> That's kind of like what I'm asking. Like, where is this going? Just because every team in the division is getting better. So, I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with that whole ordeal. But uh, I want to remind everybody about Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your bonus from football, basketball, boxing, right to your Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right. So, this is kind of a random topic that I threw in there. And it's something that I do throughout the week when I'm thinking of pod topics to discuss, just because there's so many things that I want to include, some things I throw away that we're just not going to have time to get to. But I wanted to make sure that we get to this one. I just wanted your opinion on it. So, what I'm starting to see throughout the country is that there's prospects entering the transfer portal midseason. So what's happening now with social media and kids and, you know, they're them announcing that they're going to transfer or entering the portal, you know, they put up, thank you, uh, blessed and all this other stuff. Everybody seems to have the same announcement nowadays, but it's a trend that I'm really starting to notice now. But I kind of was thinking as an evaluator, like, Two to three years from now, I'm evaluating a player that transferred midseason from a team. Like, what would I think of that? I think it's kind of a case-by-case basis as far as what happened with the situation. I think that's something that you have to find out when you go through the facility. You ask the previous coaches of where that player previously was, like, what exactly happened? Was it playing time? Was is it, is it something else that uh, maybe academic related or what was going on? So that's just kind of like my entire ordeal or my spiel on it. I think it's a case by case basis, but I think it's a trend that I didn't really know how to feel about initially, but now I think it's definitely a case by case basis, but I just wanted your overall thoughts on that. Yeah, it's tough. So I think the transfer portal got started. I want to say in the fall of 18, so I left the organization January of 19. So I never really got a chance to, to deal with it firsthand. That being said, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's case by case basis. Every situation is different. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, a quarterback transferring because he got beat out in camp and realizes the writings on the wall because the new quarterback's fallen. So he's 
kind of enter the cancer portal midseason. And and to, for that, I mean, it, it benefits him because you want to get a jump on going to visit schools and, and talking to other coaches and, and, you know, really starting your opening your recruitment, you know? And so like, you can't really knock the kid and, and, and again, there's, there's other reasons why, whether it's academic issues, off the field issues, character issues, maybe clashing with the coach, you, you just never know. And so, you know, if I'm a GM and that that's, you know, like star receiver who's higher on my board is transferring mid season, you know, it's, it's, a, it's the job of that area scout when he goes to the campus, as you mentioned, to talk to the coach, call, talk to the strength coach, talk to the academic coach, get that background and figure out really why this kid's leaving. But then also you want to talk to that kid and ask that kid at either the all-star game, senior bowl, East-West, um, at, at, at the combine, or when you bring him in for a 30 visit, you want to hear his side of the story because you know there's always two sides to every story, and the, the coach might be fabricating or the kid might be fabricating. But ultimately, you know, for me, it, it's I, I would never judge a kid for transferring or, or anything like that midseason. And I, and I know there's some older head coaches who are more like, no, he quit on his team, like he doesn't really love football because he left early. Those days are over. Those yeah. days are over. These kids are looking at football and college football as a business going, going starting in high school. That's the new world we're living in, and you can't knock these kids. So I definitely would never hold hold it against a prospect for transferring midseason. And it's sort of critical if you do that because you look at all these coaches. These coaches, you know, have the audacity that they, they, they leave after, you know, the season before the bowl game every single year. They're out, like, bags are packed, my – I already bought a new house stand down the road. Um, so I, I'll never knock a kid for doing what he thinks is best for him. But I just think as an evaluator standpoint, we just got to be sure to do our homework. The scouts have to do their homework. GNs have to do their homework. But to me, it's just the new world we're living in. You know, it's the new normal, as, as, as the, the new saying goes during COVID, the new normal. Uh, that's the new normal of, of football and scouting. For sure. I just thought that was something that was really interesting and a trend that's really starting to pop up. So, yeah, yep. I just wanted your thoughts on that. But let's go ahead and get to some of these previews, man. We're actually yes, previewing sir. four games this week, a little bit more than a normal three. And then I like how we did it last week, including our red dot prospects, if we have one in the games that we go through. And then we'll circle back at the end if there's any more red dot prospects that we want to highlight as well. So, the four games that we'll be talking about, Penn State, Iowa, obviously, which is the big matchup of the week, Oklahoma, Texas, Georgia, Auburn, and then we'll finish up with Alabama and Texas A&M. So let's start at the top with Penn State and Iowa, two top five teams that everybody's looking forward to seeing play in this matchup. Iowa coming off a dominating victory over Maryland last week. And I mean, man, they beat the teeth out of Maryland. <laughs> and a lot of people were kind of high on Maryland. They have a really good receiver in Dante Demius, who unfortunately was hurt yeah. with the knee injury last week. But Iowa's defense is so, so good, man. Those dudes are flying around and playing really well right now. But Penn State, Penn State's offense is playing well, too. Jahan Dotson is looking like a true top five type of wide receiver in this class. And he's one player that I'm looking forward to seeing play in this game. Sean Clifford has looked to take that next step in his development too. This is a big test for him. Um, so, you know, of course you'll have the line in this game. What is the line? I'll let you go ahead and say that. And then I'll let you go first with your prediction. Yeah. So the line is minus one for Iowa. They're playing at home. So, you know, they're, they're a little, they're a favorite, but it's, it's almost a pick them. 
Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, Sean Clifford's he's, he's playing well, you know, he had some struggles last year, but he he's playing well. He's taking good care of the football. Um, Jahan Dotson, he's a human highlight, real explosive, outstanding hands, ball skills, dangerous after the catch. I mean, he, he, he's phenomenal when you watch him play. He's good at punt returning. He, he's, he's, he's awesome. He's a, he's a bona fide playmaker. Um, but him and Clifford, they'll have their hands full. You know, this Iowa defense is one of the best, if not the best defense. I'm going to take a step back. I forgot about Georgia. Well, top five defense. <laughs> I was about to say. Top five defense in the country. <laughs> um, you know, they lead the league in picks with 12. Um, Riley Moss, the corner. Um, he has three of them. So he 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 looks like a pretty a nice player. Actually a good matchup between he and Dodson. But, you know, I, I do think this will be a low scoring game. Both of these defenses actually rank one and two. Um, in the Big Twelve, Big Ten, in terms of points allowed per game, um, Iowa being one, uh, Penn State being two. So both of these defenses should have strong showings. I like Iowa here at home uh, and winning this game. I think what the difference here is going to be is Tyler Goodson, the running back. I think he'll be able to to to, to get some yards onto the ground. And this Iowa defense, man, they're they're, opp- they're opportunistic. I mean. You know, they had six turnovers last week, six interceptions against, um, you know, Baby Tua. And I, and really what they do is they set their offense up for success and, and to get easy points. Um, they play outstanding, have an outstanding field position. And, and look, I love James Franklin. I do as a recruiter, but he's always good for a, a loss in, in, the, in the middle yeah. of the season. Right? right when things are going well, you can always count on that man to lose. And so I, I think this is a game they lose. I think Iowa wins this one at home. Um, in a close game, a close but low-scoring game. I'm with you. I think Iowa's going to win this game, and I'm going to go a little bit different. I think they're going to win convincingly. Oh, okay. One. Yeah, I'm high on Iowa, man, even though, I mean, their offense isn't super great, but that defense, defense yeah. is really, really good. I was really impressed with what they were able to do against Maryland. So I'm going to go with Iowa. And, you know, I know it's only basically a pick em, like you said. It's but a pick em. yeah. Even if it was Penn State, like plus three or plus four, I'm still going to take Iowa in this one. No, I, I hear you. I mean, Iowa, Iowa look pretty damn good against Maryland. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people have that as upset, upset yeah. alert. Like Maryland at home on a Friday night, you know. Yeah. Uh, how, do you, how do you pronounce the name? Talia? Like Talia. Talia. Yeah. He was looking pretty good before that game. He was, into a yeah. bus, a bus saw. Defense is for um, so, I real, mean, man. Defense is absolutely for real. And so um, I, I agree with you. I think Iowa is going to win here. All right. So we both agree on Iowa for that one. We said Jahan Dotson and Riley Moss are two players who will be matching up against each other that we'll be keying on. And that one, obviously, we have Tyler Lindenbaum from Iowa, the center, who a lot of people think is arguably the best interior offensive lineman in this class. So keep an eye on So I, I think – you. At this point in time, unanimously, he's going to be probably the number one center off the board. He, he's, yeah. he's had a phenomenal year. You know, he had a lot of hype coming into the year. We all liked him. I think we gave all – he was easily like a top 32 player for us um, on a TDM 100. But I'm curious to you, like, what do you think his ceiling is in terms of draft stock? You know, I mean, I don't know if he's a center that has that range and athleticism like a like a – Mike or Marquise Pouncey, where they really warranted yeah. that top 20 pick. I don't know if he's that guy. Like, is he is he even Frank Ragnow? We went 24 overall. Yeah. I'm not sure he's I don't even I don't, I don't even know if he's Frank Ragnow because Ragnow is pretty athletic. I'm just curious, you know, because I think we all value him as a really good player. 
But when you start talking about a center going in round one, like that, that's pretty rare. You see that. So I, I'm curious to what your thoughts are. So it kind of varies for me. And then with him being a little bit undersized, it worries yeah. me just because I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm an evaluator. Like if something doesn't work the first time, it scares the crap out of me the next time. And Gary Bradbury ruined everything for centers for me, just because Bradbury hasn't been very good for the Vikings. And he was an undersized center known for that zone type of guy that can win with angles. But whenever he has to go against Akeem Hicks and Kenny Clark and the division, he's yeah, always exactly. in struggle. Yeah. So with Linderbaum being a little bit undersized, that does scare me a little bit. I think he's going to be a better prospect overall than what Bradbury was. I think he, he's much stronger at the point of attack too. But whenever a center goes in the first round, it's usually those bigger guys that have success. And I'm thinking of, you know, Ryan Kelly coming out of Alabama, Frank Rag now, uh, and then some of the other centers that we've seen in years past, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 315, 320 pounds plus, I feel a little bit better about those guys translating. And, you know, I, I have a golden rule that I like with draft stuff as far as like, you know, things that I go by. I'm not taking an interior offensive lineman in the first round unless it's a no brainer like a Quentin Nelson or somebody like that, just because I mean, it's a little bit of a reach. It's hard to find those guys in those mid to late rounds just because you're putting a lot of faith in your draft board. But I just can't take an interior offensive lineman that early unless it's a no-brainer like a Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson was a no-brainer, and I don't even know if there's any other Quentin Nelsons in years past that I can think of that I would be comfortable taking in the first round. So I would just have a hard time taking an interior guy like that. And I think Zach Martin coming out of Notre Dame, he was a tackle. So he, I don't even put him in the equation with this. No, I hear you. I, I, I respect that. Um, it's tough. You know, you, you grade the player, and if an interior offensive lineman or a center is just that good and that unique and that dynamic, yeah, you take them. But those guys are so rare, you know, yeah. few and far between. But I will say, like, I didn't – I never had an appreciation for centers – before my time with the Chargers in my first year, we had a terrible – no, Spencer Pooley, God bless his heart, but he just wasn't <laughs> – he wasn't it. And I didn't know, like, the difference a good center makes yeah. for your run game. It, it, it is nuts. Like, honestly, like – because that, that, that next year we brought in Mike Pouncey before his injuries, and he completely changed our offense. I mean, it, it, it was unbelievable – some of the spots he was able to get at the second level, the the anchor he showed in pass protection, like it really changed your offense. So while I agree with you completely, I would never want to take a center in round one. I do understand the value of a good center. Like those dudes are important. Yeah. But again, finding a round one worthy center is rare. Um, and we'll see if Linderbaum, who has a chill other chance, uh, you know, I think probably late, late round one, early round two is probably the sweet spot. I see a lot of people now trying to put it pretty high. I mean, like we're talking yeah. teens right, right now. I just don't know if I'm comfortable enough with him yet to go that high, but definitely wanted to get your thoughts there for sure. And that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's yeah. wrong to take a center in the first round. I'm just saying I just wouldn't be comfortable taking one. And I'm just thinking of years past. Elton Jenkins was a center coming out of Mississippi State. Eric McCoy coming out of Texas A&M, who was a second-round pick. So you can find those guys in the second and third round. I don't think it's a situation of where you need to take one 
unless he's a no-brainer like a Quentin Nelson. And just speaking interior, not just center, a guard too. I just would have a hard time taking those guys early on like that. But, yeah, I think having a good center, especially for a young quarterback, I think that's so important. Look at the Chargers with Corey Lindsley. Look how much he's helped out Justin Herbert with the Chargers. So I think just having that center in place with that young quarterback, I definitely think is vital. So, yeah, good discussion with that one. But let's go ahead and transition to Oklahoma and Texas, Red River rivalry. Everybody always looks forward to this game every year. One that was phenomenal last year, having Oklahoma and Texas in my scouting region. I've watched that game a million times. Went to four overtimes last year. This was the game that Spencer Rattler actually got benched in the second quarter and then came back in the third quarter and played lights out after that point. And then it really changed them for the better during last season. But we know Rattler's been inconsistent for the betterment of this season, but there's going to be a ton of prospects on the field in this game. And, you know, Oklahoma's defense is where I'm going to start just because they have a lot of players that I'm looking forward to seeing in this game. All of you guys know in the scouting meetings how high I've been on Perrion Winfrey. I think he's going to be a player. I have a gold star beside as far as a player that's going to be a better pro than college player just because Oklahoma has such a weird defensive line rotation of where they're rotating seven to eight guys at a time of where he starts to get cranked up. But once he gets cranked up, they take him out of the game. So I think with him being a senior, he's going to be one player that I'm going to continue to pump up that I think is going to be phenomenal at a postseason all-star game, whether he plays in East West Shrine or Senior Bowl. I think he's going to blow up there. Isaiah Thomas is another player along that Oklahoma defensive line that has had a really good season, too. So I'm looking forward, obviously, seeing how Spencer Rattler is going to play in this game with him kind of hearing some of those whispers of, you know, getting booed at home and being able to battle through adversity. And then you see him start to go later and later in mock drafts, too. So just seeing how he plays and responds in this game, a game that is always close. I think that's something that is definitely going to be vital to pay attention to in this one. So uh, just what's the line? And then what are some things that you're looking forward to in this one? Yeah, the line is Oklahoma minus three and a half. Um, You know, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, with Texas going to Casey Thompson after the Arkansas loss. He's looked pretty good in the past three weeks. Yeah. They're running the ball exceptionally well. I mean, B. John Robinson, we've been talking about him since before the season started. I, I, watched, like, the, I watched the TCU game this morning. Jesus Christ. My God. That dude it's, is special, it's, man. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that dude is special. It's unbelievable. He's he's just a rare player. I mean, he really is. But you know, he he he's hot right now. He he's got it going. Obviously, went over two hundred yards last week. Um, but for Oklahoma, you know, Rattler's coming off his best game of the year against yeah. Kansas State. Um, you know, he like as you mentioned last year, this was the week where he really picked it up on the second half and really sprung board up like all of our, our radars. You know, that's when he turned everything around and, and was balling the rest of the way. So. Um, I, I do think that Rat- we will get Rattler's A game this week. One, it's a rivalry. Two, you know, their back is kind of against the wall. They haven't been playing their best football year. Um, and, you know, this Texas run defense is actually pretty terrible. They're, allow- they're allowing 4.67 yards per carry, which is 106th in the country. So I think Kennedy Brooks and, and the stable backs they have should have a field day. Um, and on the flip side, Oklahoma's run defense is actually pretty good. You know, they're 13th in the run. I still expect Beaton Robinson to get his, but I don't think it's going to be as easy as him as he was for TCU. Um, a player that I'll quickly mention, and a guy I think I'm probably higher on than, than everybody in our department is Nick Benito. You know, I, I, he hasn't had the eye-popping stats 
think only two and a half sacks, 11 overall tackles. But whenever I watch Oklahoma, he's popping off, whether that's in pursuit, whether that's, you know, maybe not finishing up the quarterback, but he's definitely disrupting the quarterback. Yeah. Um, off the off the edge, and especially on third down, man. I, I, yeah. I don't I don't really go by what PFF says, but I'm looking right now. He's leading the country in, in uh, pass rush rate on third down. So he's 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 really been disruptive um, on on the money downs. And and for me, I just like his versatility. I'm not so sure he's not like a, a stand up like outside backer. Like I I think he can do that. I think he yeah, but he has that versatility to do a bunch of things for it a creative defensive coordinator. I'd love to see him go to the Chargers or like, you know, big Fangio style defense. That's multiple front Baltimore Ravens. You could get, you can get yeah. creative with this kid, the Green Bay Packers, something like that, where, you know, you, you can, you can, you can drop him in coverage. You can blitz him. You can, you can let him blitz the A gaps and rush him off the edge. I think you can do a lot. So I look for him to have a big game against Texas. I like Oklahoma here. Um, I, I just, I just, Got to trust in Lincoln Riley. You know, he he's won a lot of big games. He's owned Texas since he's been the head coach. I don't think this Texas team is particularly good. Um, I love B. John, B. John Robinson, obviously, but unless he has an otherworldly performance, which he might, like he very yeah, well could. Capable of. <laughs> capable of. I have to roll with the Sooners to cover here. I, I got the Sooners by, uh, you know, touchdown or six points to win the game. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Oklahoma's going to win this one. Maybe not convincingly, but I think yeah. a touchdown, I think that's fair. Rattler just has to come out and play well. I think if he finishes well down the backstretch, he can kind of save his first-round moniker a little bit just because it's kind of wearing off a little bit right now just because, like I said earlier, you're starting to see him go later and later in mock drafts, and it's just the decision-making that's so inconsistent with him, and it's it's been a roller coaster for him this year, but him being on a national stage like he always is, I think this is going to help him if he can play well in this one. But let's go ahead and go to our next one, which is Georgia and Auburn. Um, I am not betting against Georgia ever again, just like I did last week. I made the mistake of doing that, but just watching this defense, man, I've had so much fun this year just watching these dudes attack re- relentlessly. Nicobe Dean is one player that has impressed the heck out of me all year. And even though he's a little bit undersized, at right at six foot, 225 pounds, he plays so hard the entire game. I mean, against Arkansas, he was just relentless. Like they're up, I think it was like 30 to nothing in late third quarter, and he is still coming as if it's the first quarter. And I love players that have that type of juice and that type of energy. So, N'Kobe Dean is one player that will be my red dot prospect in this one. But also Roger McCreary, the cornerback from Auburn, who is probably going to be one of the higher-ranked senior prospects in this class. And I think he's another player that definitely is going to blow up during the postseason all-star game circuit. So that'll be two players that I have highlighted in this one. But what's the line? And then what are you looking forward to in this one? The line is Georgia minus 15 and a half. And I'm just going to flat out to tell you, I'm taking Georgia on the points. Like, I don't even care. I'm taking Georgia. I mean, like, I know Bo Nix had his miraculous play against LSU. He he won the game, put the team on the back. Like, that's all fine and dandy. But I've also seen Bo Nix look like crap against Georgia the Southern two weeks, two weeks prior. Um, and I, I just can't imagine Bo Nix and this Auburn offense having much success against what people are saying is the best 
college football defense we've seen in the past like 10 years. Like this is what's happening right now. Um, and so I, I just, I got to roll with, with the Bulldogs um, here. I, I think they cover pretty convincingly um, even on the road. I, I like them a lot. Uh, and then for me, my bad players, I mean, it's, it's the entire door of defense. I mean, we can, talk about, <laughs> we can talk about anybody. And the thing is though, like Auburn has a good running back. He's sophomore tank Bigsby. He's, he's yeah. a real NFL player. Um, so obviously the Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis, Adam Anderson, those guys who have their hands full um, in handling the Auburn running game. So all eyes will be on them, but time week in, week out this season with Andrew the bell and then some, um, I, I really appreciate Georgia's three-headed monster at running back between Kendall Melton, Zamir White, James Cook really got it going last yeah. week. I just can't imagine. I mean, what, what do you do? You know, you, you, you rotate in three NFL backs who are all just fresh, you know, and pray the they defense, have a bad game. Yeah, all of them. The, de- <laughs> the, de- the defense is balling. They have, they have two NFL tight ends and Darnell Washington, the freshman Brock Bowers, who, like, my God, you know, yeah. it, it, it's, it's it's ridiculous. Two two NFL corners, Darren Kendrick and Keely Ringo. I miss this. Georgia's loaded. Like I mean, Georgia's absolutely filthy right now. I'm yeah. taking Georgia probably every single week from here on out um, until they play Alabama, and I still might take Georgia. So I'm taking Georgia here on the points. Um, it's going to be another bloodbath, I think. So sorry, Auburn. Sorry, Bo Nix. Hope you enjoyed you winning against LSU last week, but it's it's all coming to an end soon. Send a prayer up for Bo Nix this week, Dude. just because I think it's going to be. It's going to be tough, man. Like, I pray for any quarterback that has to go against that defense with the way that they're playing right now. Like, I've had a blast watching them. Like, I look forward to watching them every single week just because they play so well. Everything is, like, them against Arkansas. Any concept, passing concept that they tried to run, the communication was excellent. They passed off everything. It's just – it makes sense, everything that Kirby's trying to do and the chemistry that everybody has on the field together, even though they have so many new moving parts, it's been pretty cool to see them all come together. So, uh, yeah, Georgia, I think they're going to roll in this one. And I'm just hoping everything stays planned as accordingly, and, uh, as accordingly, and then them and Alabama can meet in the SEC championship. And no matter who loses in that game, I'm hoping they make the college football playoff. I hope the committee does the right thing. And they keep both of them in the college football playoff, no matter what happens in the SEC championship, just because I think without question, those are the two best teams in the country right now. But before we move on and we go to our last game between Alabama and Texas A&M, I want to remind everybody about Homefield Apparel, uh, which is our new sponsor. And it is a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis. They have an incredibly comfortable and officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. One of the coolest things is that Homefield studies school history and goes through the archives. They create thoughtful vintage designs that represent the school's history. They're actually wrapping up their big new Saturday season two. They launch six new schools each Saturday. All summer, a new school gets released every Saturday, but they are going to continue to release and refresh schools all year long. They actually have over 100 schools officially licensed and adding more all the time. Listen, I'm trying to get some North Carolina Central gear so that I can represent my alma mater everywhere I go. Hopefully they get that up very soon. But I did have some Clemson gear on the way to represent number one overall pick and the newest quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence. So I can't wait to show that off on the show. You can get involved and you can get 15 percent off of your first purchase from home field by using the code TDN during checkout. Head over to the website homefieldapparel.com. 
Check out all of the schools they have. They add schools all of the time. When you put in the code TDN during checkout for your first purchase, you will receive 15% off over at homefieldapparel.com. All right, so let's get to this last game, and we'll wrap our show up here with Alabama and Texas A&M. I think this game has the best prospect versus prospect matchup in this one, just just because we get DeMarvin Leal against Evan Neal. Liao is a player that I think played very well against Neil last year. And this was one of those games I think Neil struggled in. You saw some of the struggles that he had in pass protection and then just some control and then some balance issues too that occurred in that game from a year ago. But Neil is playing much better this year. I still think some of the same issues are apparent with him, but I don't think they are as bad. And he settled in really nicely at left tackle. I think he's had some moments of where he just absolutely dominated. I thought he played really well against Florida a couple of weeks ago. And then he's beat up on some some one double A opponents and some lesser opponents, too. But I think Neil is really starting to come into his own at that left tackle spot and really starting to, um, you know, cement himself as OT1. I don't think he has any more competition right now as far as at this present point as being the first tackle off of the board and probably a top five to eight selection in next year's draft. But Liao, a player that I hyped up a whole bunch during summer scouting. I mean, I think he's one of the most translatable prospects in this class. What I mean by translatable is that you see exactly what he's going to be able to do on the next level, just because of his versatility, how strong he is at the point of attack. And then just some of the things that he provides as a run defender and then also a pass rusher too. So those are two players I'm looking forward to seeing in this one, but what is the line? And then maybe some of the players that you're looking forward to seeing, and then um, some other things that you're looking forward to in this one. Yeah. The line here is actually Bama minus 17 and a half. Um, and, and I think obviously you hit the nail on the head. The matchup everyone's going to want to watch is DeMarvin Leal versus Evan Neal, you know, two players I think we had in the top six of our TDM 100. Um, I see no reason why those players should have, should have moved down at all. I think they're both clearly top 10 players in this upcoming class. Yeah. So I'll be fascinated to watch, you know, dumb compete. Um, and then obviously, you know, Bryce Young, um, you know, he was, he, I thought he was really good against Ole Miss and I know he's not eligible, but you know, with Texas A&M for their issues that they have on offense, they're actually, they're a pretty solid defense, you know, and so yeah. this will be another strong test for the Bama offense. Um, John Mechie and Brian Robinson, the running back, who had a pretty good game last week, um, and obviously Bryce Young. So I'll be curious to see how his Bama offense continues to roll against a and if, if if they, you know, run, run into any stumble blocks. Again, A&M does have talent on this defense. That being said, I think A&M has a disaster at quarterback. I know, yeah. you know, uh, um, Haynes King was the talented freshman who – or a venture freshman or sophomore who like fractured his ankle on week two or week one. Then then started this kid, I think Zach Casada or something like that. He's, he's okay. He's, he's not good really. And, and I just think he's, they're going to be completely overmatched. And it's a shame because A&M does have some talented skill players in running back Isaiah Spiller and tight end Jalen Weidenmeyer. And, you know, we would, what we would always say is like, this is like their red dot games. Yeah. But when you have such a weak link at quarterback, if I'm Bama, all I'm doing is is putting nine in the box and say, okay, what are you going to do? Like, you can't can't run the ball on us. So, sorry, Isaiah Spiller. Like, you might be an NFL back. And I, I love Isaiah Spiller. He's my number one over back in the country. 
it's almost unfair to judge him. Like he's literally running against right. nine men in the box. <laughs> and if you're Jalen Widermeyer, yeah, if you're Jalen Widermeyer, it's like, okay, I have a freaking walk on, not really walk on, but I have a walk on throwing me dang passes against Alabama. What do, you, what do you want me to do? You know? And so um, obviously scouts will still have their eyes on them, but I just think it's important to scout with context in terms of yeah. like, okay, this is a situation this is what's happening. You know, we, we got to kind of keep it, keep our expectations realistic. I'd say for those two guys who you know for me, you know, I think I, I had a wider Myers, either my tight end one or two behind uh, Billingsley or above him. And then a spiller was my, for sure. my number one back. So I, yeah. I, I, love, I love for those players, but um, all that being said, I'm taking Bam on the points again <laughs> yeah, on the road. <laughs> um, I just think it's too much. It's just going to be too much. Um, this quarterback this young quarterback to handle and, and you know bama even if you slow them down they'll eventually get it going this is the bottom line they have too much talent on offense they're too well coached with um bill o'brien on, on calling the plays. so give me the give me bama here on the points covering 17 and a half it's kind of a lot of points but give, I, I like it though yeah same here i think alabama's gonna roll in this one just because if you do not have a mobile quarterback against alabama's defense you have no chance just because all the teams that have beaten Bama in the past few years, they've had a mobile quarterback, and Texas A&M just doesn't have that right now. And I think you hit the nail on the head as far as using context to grade some of the the Aggie offensive guys this year with Spiller running against those loaded boxes. Widermeyer has really struggled the past few weeks, but obviously he's had quarterback questions, so they haven't been able to push the ball to him like they normally do. So I think that's something to remember when we're grading some of these players from the Texas A&M offense at year's end. Um, but another matchup that I'm looking forward to in this one is Jordan Battle uh, against Widermeyer. I think they're going to play him in man coverage quite a bit. I think Battle had one of the better games of his career last week when we saw him um, against Ole Miss. He was really good in that game. He showed much more aggression and activity than what he normally showed. So I'm looking forward to seeing if that carries over and that remains consistent on a week-to-week basis from here on out. So that's just a little matchup that I'm looking forward to in this one. But as far as red dot prospects, did you have anybody else that you wanted to highlight this week? Um, you know, not, not too much. You know, I, I thought Spencer Rattler versus Texas, this will be a big, um, this will obviously be, be a big test for him. You know, he's fallen a lot out of favor for most evaluators, both in the media and in the NFL. Um, if he has any shot to kind of turn it around, I think it does start this week. So that that was one name I'd written down. Um, you know, other than that, you know, I, th- I think we pretty much covered all of the big games, at least that I'll be paying attention to. Um, I guess, you know, being I'm on the West Coast, you know, there's, there's this Pac-12 matchup tomorrow, which has some interesting uh, signal callers in Tanner McKee. I'm not sure if you've, if you've watched him at all, but he, um, you know, he got lucky when the refs cheated Oregon last week, got the, got the win, <laughs> but he, he made, he made some good throws. You know, he, he has, I think his prototypical size. He's, he's a, he's a, I think he's more man like the LDS. So he was on a mission. Uh, so he's a little older, but you can tell he, he's mature. He's athletic. Um, he, he's, he's honestly an interesting name to keep an eye on in this quarterback class, Tanner McKee. Okay. And then Jaden, Jaden Daniels coming off a huge win at UCLA last yeah. week. You know, so Stanford and ASU, that's a game tomorrow night. I'll be certainly watching that. Um, but, yeah, man, other than that, I think that's, that's those are all my guys. What about you? 
Yeah, I had one more matchup that I wanted to highlight that I think is going to be really good, and I'm going to go to Kentucky and LSU. It's Darian Kennard versus Allie Gay. I think that's a really good one to pay attention to, two notable name prospects. Kennard is playing really well this year. Allie Gay came back for the first time. He missed a couple games. I'm not sure exactly what his injury was, but he came back and he looked really good too. So I think that's a game that a lot of scouts are going to be paying attention to. So keep an eye on Darian Kennard versus Allie Gay. And then, of course, um, I wanted to end here just shouting out uh, two players from the HBCU ranks. We have South Carolina State versus Florida A&M. So we have from my top 40 list, we have two of the three players not facing off against each other, but will be in this game, which is Marquise Bell, the safety from Florida A&M, and then also Dakobe Durant, who is a cornerback from South Carolina State, both players that we will definitely see in the postseason all-star game circuit, whether it's East West Shrine or Senior Bowl. I think both of those guys have a chance probably going in the fifth to seventh round range. I think they're definitely both draftable players for sure. So keep an eye on Marquise Bell from Florida AM and then also Dakobe Durant, two HBCU defensive backs that I think will end up going somewhere late day two or day three, somewhere along those lines. But We are the Read Option Podcast. That is our show for the week. Be sure to like, subscribe, and everything and follow the Draft Network on all social media platforms. For Brentley Wiseman, I am Jordan Reed. Thank you guys, as always, for listening to the Friday show. We will be back on our regular Tuesday, and Dre will be returning back with us going through week five of the NFL action. And then, of course, we'll give out game balls from week six of college football and then talking about some of our biggest takeaways as well. So, as always, thank you guys for listening. We will be back, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.